This is the Under the Sun Podcast, your home for news, analysis, and interviews from around Sunbelt men's and women's basketball. Now, here's your host, Jake Griffith. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Jake Griffith. You're locked into the Under the Sun Podcast, where we cover everything under the sun as it relates to Sunbelt men's and women's basketball. A short show for you this week. We have Kevin Pedersen, the head coach of Coastal Carolina women's basketball in his first season. He'll jump on the show here in just a little bit. Let's start, though, on the men's side. Like we always do, let's take a look at the conference standings. You look at the top, you'll find Southern Miss and Louisiana. Golden Eagles have won seven straight games. Louisiana, 10 consecutive victories, the second longest win streak in program history. We had their head coach, Bob Marlin, on the podcast last week. He talked a lot about things that he's liked from his team, things he'd like to see them improve on. And one thing he circled in on was defense. If Saturday was any indication of how good of a defensive team Louisiana can be to complement one of the best offensive attacks in the country, then that's a scary thought for the rest of the Sun Belt. Louisiana took down Marshall, a 10-point win in the Cajun Dome for the Ragin' Cajuns. And to be honest with you, it really wasn't even that close. They out-rebounded Marshall by 22. Jordan Brown had 26 points and 22 rebounds. I mean... Just an insane stat line for the Arizona transfer. They held Andrew Taylor to just seven points. Keep in mind, Marshall's Andrew Taylor, the third leading scorer in the Sunbelt Conference. Cam Kerfman held to single digits. Talking about that balanced scoring, 32 combined points between Themis Falks and Greg Williams Jr., This Louisiana team peaking at the right time. As mentioned, they've won 10 straight games. As mentioned a minute ago, we had Bob Marlin, the Raging Cajuns head coach on the podcast last week. Here's what Marlin had to say earlier this week in reflection on the weekend that was. We did some good things uh, in both games, and we're just excited to be where we are and be in contention going down the stretch, playing teams that we're in contention with for the conference championship. Uh, Jordan Brown, Greg Williams, super games the other night. They've been leading us as seniors, uh, or junior and senior, elderly statesmen, I should say. Uh, we consider Jordan a senior sometimes because he graduated, uh, but but he does have eligibility left. But those guys played well for us. I thought Themis Folks, Joe Charles was dynamite in, in the two games. Jalen Dalcourt helped us the other night and, and gave a good contribution. Talked about it in my weekly article for fan-sided college basketball. Louisiana looks like the best team in the Sunbelt Conference right now. And you look at the way they're winning games. They've hit 70 in four consecutive, and they can score, 25th highest scoring team in the country. But they can also win sort of a slower, grinded-out-paced game. This looks like a completely different team than what we saw start 0-2 in conference play with losses to Coastal and Old Dominion. I mean, you look a 60-point outing against Texas State on the road that they won because they held the Bobcats to just 51 points. They held Southern Miss to 61 back in January. That is important because the next big matchup in Sunbelt men's basketball is Southern Miss and Louisiana. The two teams at the top of the league, 10-2, and 2, 
a credit to Jay Ladner and his team. Lost by 22 on national television to Marshall earlier this year back in January. Since then, all they've done is rattle off seven straight wins to propel themselves back to the top. A Thursday night matchup with Louisiana in Hattiesburg. You know Reed Green Coliseum is going to be rocking at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. All eyes will be on that one down in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Let's dive a little deeper into this matchup. As mentioned, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time tip Thursday night. You can catch it on ESPN Plus between Louisiana and Southern Miss. You look at Louisiana's defense, and we were just talking about the Raging Cajuns' improvement potentially in that category. You know, diving into this matchup, one area that this game could be won between Southern Miss and Louisiana is is on the three point line. Southern Miss shot 44% in the last matchup, shot 5 for 11 from distance in the second half, 8 for 18 overall in the game, and that's been a sore spot for Louisiana's defense. 37.7% from beyond the arc against D1 teams this year. That's 340th, according to Ken Palm. The four factors are relatively even across the board. These teams are good offensive rebounding teams, They move the ball very well. They're both good shooting teams. Southern Miss's defense may have a a slight edge, a 20.8% turnover percentage on defense, whereas Louisiana's defense just 18.5. That turnover percentage for USM, 61st best in the country, should be a great, great matchup. All eyes will be paying attention to that one. Speaking of Louisiana, let's flip over to the latest ESPN bracketology because after the win against Marshall over the weekend, another 2-0 weekend for Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns are solidly in Joe Lenardi's field. He has them going to Orlando to face four-seeded TCU. 13 seed is what Louisiana would receive if the tournament started today, according to ESPN's Joe Lenardi. Also in that area of the bracket, Rutgers and VCU, whether it's Louisiana, Southern Miss, even Marshall, James Madison, who's now won four straight games, all of it is shaping up to be a fantastic ending to the season. And as a reminder, tickets have gone on sale for the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. You can find those on uh, the Sunbelt website, sunbeltsports.org. That'll take place in Pensacola. Really looking forward to being down in the Sunshine State for that one. Like I said, you never know what could happen. Hey, little fun fact for you. Did you know Sunbelt men's basketball this year is home to four of the country's top 15 individual shot blockers? I'm talking about Micah Handlockton from Marshall, Kevin Samuel from South Alabama, Victor Bafuto from ULM, and App State's Justin Absent. All four of those have turned away 50 or more shots. Handlockton leading the way, ranked sixth in the country. From a team perspective, they're also home to four of the top 100 shot-blocking teams in the country, Marshall, App State, South Alabama, in that order. Hey, the Sun Belt Conference has scored the third most points of any conference in America this year, but it's all about defense in the SBC. Switching gears to the women's side of things in the Sun Belt, a quick peek at the standings, and you'll find Troy in a familiar spot. 10-2, and two, the Trojans have won four straight Eight of their last nine games. I think it's so fascinating. We had Shanda Rigby on the podcast earlier this year. She talked about the team's complete 
flip in mentality they had to have. Played such a tough non-conference schedule. They lost preseason player of the year, Felmas Karanga, four games in to a season-ending injury. And yet here Troy is. They just keep winning. And over the weekend, able to hold off two more teams who were nipping at their heels, took down Texas State, took down Louisiana, and for her efforts, Tashika Porsche, named Conference Player of the Week, Porsche had a 28-point, 15-rebound game against Texas State a week ago on Thursday. Helped Troy rally from four, or excuse me, from nine down, I should say, in the fourth quarter. Averaged 20 points on the week. Just so impressive. Troy enters this week as the eighth highest scoring offense in the country and coming up for them Arkansas State at home and then at ULM they'll finish out their home slate next week home against Coastal Carolina and App State on Thursday and Saturday speaking of those Chanticleers Coastal Carolina has had an interesting year in the first year of the Kevin Pedersen era They sit one game under 500 overall, but the Chanticleers have wins this year against Marshall. Took down Louisiana back in December. Beat James Madison earlier in January. There have been ups and downs in Pedersen's first year transitioning to Division I from D2 Lander. And Pedersen joins the podcast now. Big game coming up. Um, You know, At this point, all games are big games once you enter the sort of stretch run of the year. Yep. I'll talk about the season sort of as a whole. Um, you, you all are six and six in conference play. You've, you've played a, a really tough slate of games, you know, just looking at the early portion of the season at Wake Forest, you know, good Wofford yeah. team, Kentucky, Georgia. What have you learned about your team uh, through the first uh, 23 games of the year? Yeah, you know, I'm a big believer in playing a tough schedule. I've always done that as long as I've been a head coach. Because I, I think when you challenge yourself early, uh, you learn a lot. You, you kind of find that the cracks get revealed a little sooner than if you play a, a lighter schedule. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you know, we went out and played Georgia and had a, had a good game. And then we went out and, um, you know, played a Kentucky team and really struggled. And then we played Wake Forest and, and really won that about 25. I think we went through a 25-minute stretch where we, we were winning that game. Um, and then you play South Carolina and they just, you know, they're the number team in the country and they, you can't even get on the floor with them. They beat us so badly. But, uh, but then you get the games, like at least that Walker team's very good. That was a, that was a game we learned a lot because that was the first team we've seen kind of similar to an app state where they, they don't play a lot of post players, a lot of guards on the floor. So, so, but we really felt like our non-conference slate, I know it ended up being one of the strongest in the Sunbelt. We, we really felt like it helped prepare us for, for the rigors we see in the Sunbelt. Yeah, you talk about those those rigors of the Sun Belt, and, and you know six and six in conference play. But you had a stretch. You beat you beat Marshall, who you faced Thursday. But you know South Alabama, Georgia State, a win against James Madison. You, you've beaten Louisiana, who's had a good year. I mean, your team has turned in some impressive performances in conference play. What's impressed you the most once the calendar flipped to that second season? Yeah, because honestly, you know, we're in year one, and, and we knew coming in, we didn't have a team that could contend for a regular season title. So we're just trying to find out, okay, can we can we become a team that in February no one wants to play? Right. And uh, so we come out, we've had some really good wins, but then we've also had some tough losses. Uh, you know, the ULM loss at home, the Arkansas State loss at home. Um, now, I will say, we, we've played without our point guard the last couple games, and that, that really hurts in the Arkansas State game. But, um, but, but, some good wins and some tough wins. I think what you see is this league from top to bottom. You know, JMU is a, it was a really good win. They've got a great team. 
But then you look at the bottom of our league. Like I thought ULM and Arkansas State are, are really good teams as well. So just, just a reminder that anybody in this league can beat you on any given day. And so for us, you know, we came to this league, you know, not having much familiarity with any of the teams in here. I know for you guys, you you didn't know most of the teams either. But but coming in, it's kind of been like, okay, let's take this year and let's learn. What do we need to do? What type of players do we need to bring in here to be successful? And um, and so we, we've really learned a lot so far from this year going forward that's going to help us build a program at Coastal Carolina that can hopefully get in the top part of this league. Mm-hmm. Going on the road, uh, 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 you know, obviously – you got to bring your own energy on the road. I know a lot of coaches say that you don't have sort of home fans behind your back and you're staying in a hotel. You know, what are the, I guess, the difficulties of, you talk about that maybe unfamiliarity, that coupled with having to go, you know, on the road and, and, and play tough teams, you know, like a Marshall, like a Southern Miss, like a Troy, that those three coming up. Yeah, geez. this is a stretch I've looked at for a long time. And I'm like, that's why I was so upset when we lost the Arkansas State game because you know, if we won that game, we're two games over 500 going into our most brutal stretch of the season. So, um, you know, now we're going at 500. And this is, I mean, geez, you, at Marshall, who's won five games in a row. Then we're going to go to Southern Miss, who's eight and four and has a fantastic team. And next week, we got to go to Troy and Georgia Southern. So, it, it, you know, this is a stretch that is, it, like I said, I hate to say we're going to learn a lot about our team because it's it, it could be a really tough experience for us. But I think what you learn is, um, when you go on this, when you go on the road in this league, and, and I'm sure you know it. I don't know the last thing you guys were in if it was like this, but Thursday, Saturday, when you're traveling, is absolutely brutal. So for us to go and play Marshall on Thursday, and then we got to get on plane. We could get to Southern Miss on Saturday. So you know, just travel whatever that is. You know, 1,200 miles to get there. Um, it, it, I think the travel, handling the travel, handling the short turnarounds, uh, it really kind of dictates how you prepare, what you can do on your off days. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I, I think that's the biggest thing. But for us coming into a tough four-game stretch, we're really trying to take it one game at a time. And just – because once again, our goal is still by the – as we head into the conference tournament, have we learned enough to go down there with the knowledge to, to be a really tough team for anybody to play? Mm-hmm. You know, I was looking at your bio, and you talked about South Carolina. I, I saw Don Staley had a quote in there about, you know, your teams being tough you know, disciplined, who challenged the opponent. And those are sort of sentiments that you've echoed while we've talked here. Looking back at your all's last game against App State, it was a, you know, a back and forth affair. You all had a 9-0 run to take the lead at one point. They had a 7-0 run to take the lead back. What would you say was the biggest takeaway from that App State game that, that your coaching staff was able to say, you know, wow, we were really blown away by our team did X, Y, Z? So we were, you know, we had two kids out uh, with COVID. And so we were so, we, we came into that game. It was one of those days. So we're sitting there. I remember our coach in charge of the scout comes in. We're meeting Friday morning. And poor thing, she's been working on the scout for, for a week. And five minutes into I said, listen, let me just stop you. I said, we, we don't have a starting point guard. We're missing another guard. We got two other kids who are really sick. I said, we can't, we simply can't do what we want to do in this game. So we, we threw a very strange game plan out. We played way more zone than we, we played all season because we, we prefer to play man to man. And so I, we were so excited we were able to win that game because our, our backup point guard comes in and plays 30 minutes, does a great job. Uh, we've been struggling with turnovers. We, we come out and we cut our turnovers down a little bit. So I was just so impressed with our girls when we're, we're so shorthanded in that game. And we got a lot of kids who don't feel well for them to come in and find a way to win. Asia does a great job. Miriam Ricarte does a great job. Our backup point guard handles, uh, runs the show for us for most of the game. So just really impressed with the way players stepped up in a time when we, we had our lowest roster of the season. 
Yeah, you mentioned Asia. That's a good that's a good place to pick up because you know she had a season high twenty six points in that game. What? Uh, how have you seen her grow as a player from the start of the season to where we're at now? Yeah, because you know she came and she played in a totally different system. We come and we prefer to play up tempo. We prefer to really pressure teams. And so uh, you know Asia was a player. A lot of people don't realize she didn't come back here. When I got the job, she was in the portal. She was gone to Tulane. Right. So. You know, it's like late August when I get a phone call and she's like, hey, I want to come back. And so when I got that call, I said, listen, I said, just so you know, it's a different system. You're going to do some different things. We're going to ask some, a lot of you that you've never had to do before. And, and to her credit, her buying has been fantastic. And and the leadership she gives, she's the perfect player you need as a first-year head coach because she gives you some stability, some experience, and a lot of talent as you're trying to, to make that segue in year one. Like I said, to, to, for us, our staff, this, this year is all about finding how good is this league? What do we need to do to be successful in this league? And so having a player like her who was a first-team uh, player last year has really has been a huge help to us this season. You mentioned uh, sort of that toughness, that that te- up tempo sort of style defense of wanting to force people into turnovers. And right now, your team ranks ninety third in the country in steals per game. I- I'm curious, what is the art of uh, an effect of, of a good steal? I guess if that makes sense. It's all positioning. So it's it's all how you position yourself and and where you go on the floor. Um, spacing is so important and then it's kind of that defensive mentality of hey we're going to pressure you we're going to dictate because at the end of the day our biggest word is dictate mm-hmm. a good defense dictates the offense they don't sit on their heels and let them kind of decide what they want to do um and now we're not there we're not nearly anywhere close to what i'd like to do because we're, we're not as athletic we're not as deep as i think you need to be to do what we'd like to do but so credit to these players who, who we've got right now uh who are coming in and trying to learn the system and trying to send players back door and trying to take them out of what they want to run because I'm a big, and we do things way different than a lot of teams. You know, we're right. we're not as heavy on scouts because we run the system correctly. You don't have to know so much what the other team's doing. We, we focus usually on three specific actions and try and take three things away from the team. I'm, I'm a big believer. You can come in the game and take away three things they want to do. That's more important than whether knowing whether you like to go left or you're a dribble pull up guy. Like, so we we do things a little bit differently. And, and our team has had some success in the games we won this year of coming in and taking key key parts of what our opponents like to do away from that team. Earlier, you talked about the newness of the, the Sun Belt, this being year one for you. Last I checked, there were eight teams in the Sun Belt in the top 100 nationally in scoring defense. Has it really blown you away just how tough defensively this league is? It is tough, yeah. Every game we come out, I'm like, geez, here's another team that you're going to have to work to score against. So, yeah, it's it, this league is really impressive. And, and I think it's when I was talking with the coach up at Old Dominion last week, and he's like, geez, did you know this league was going to be this tough? As listen, I was in Division Two last year, so it's it, everything's new for me at this level. But um, but it, it, it's funny though. I will say this though: like I still think, like my Division Two team we had. Now we were top five in the nation. Right. You know, we we were a better offensive team than what I have here right now. So, it, but the D. So I'm not sure the offense is as good as what I've seen. But you're right. The the defense, it, the size. If you look at a kid from ULM who was hitting the bench, and then the starter hurts her finger and they realize they got this six five kid on the bench who is now lead they they insert in the game whatever that is in their third conference game and now the kid's leading the league and rebounding and block shots and this is a kid who's sitting on the bench right so it is just the size and the defense is is really impressive you look at this marshall team and and they're grinding out their own post to what 65 points a game Mm -hmm. and and they're really tough they're very methodical with what they want to do and and if you if you're not careful next you know you're they're doing everything they want to do on the floor and you're playing their game. 
Mm-hmm. You, you know, you talked about your, your D2 experience. You know, you spent time at the D2 level. One of Marshall's more productive players uh, was a D2 All-American last year. I cover a lot of JUCO and NAIA sports as well. Do you feel like small college, you know, basketball and, and sports gets the respect it deserves? I, I really do not. That's one thing I, I've talked about at our media day. I've tried to go every, everywhere I go because I, there were so many really good coaches and really good teams, really good players we saw at the D2 level. And I, I look at Mira McCarthy who came with me, and she's having pretty much the same success here as she did at the D2 level. She's actually shooting a higher percentage from the floor than she did at the D2 level. I look at Michaela Kanje, who is uh, was a first-team All-American who came with us but got injured. She's had to sit out this year. I think she's going to be a really good player at this level. So – uh, I, I do. I, I think I don't think people realize how many good Division two players there are, and coaches for that matter. It's uh, this league is full of good coaches, but but I feel like the league I left was was very similar. Every night you're going up against some great coaches. So uh, I, I do. I always try to tell people don't sleep on Division two because it is a really good level of basketball. You know, for you personally, your coaching career has taken you a lot of places. You, you started, you know, five seasons at Clemson under Rick Barnes. Just if you could sum up what this coaching journey has been like for you. Amazing. Blessed is probably the best word I'd say. You know, I, I, you know, I always thought I'd get, I'd be a high school coach. And, and I get lucky. Matt Driscoll, who's head coach in North Florida, sets me up with an interview with Doug Novak at Anderson. So I end up, uh, I get a job with Doug Novak, end up volunteering my first year and then my, uh, second year, the vice president comes to me and says, "Hey, you really like what you've done." I was, I mean, I was showing up to work at six a.m., leaving at eight p.m., not making a dime. And so, at the end of the year, a guy comes up, he's like, "We don't really want to lose you, so we're going to try and get you some money." So they pay me eighteen thousand dollars a year with the idea of I'll go recruit fifteen kids to a JV team that they'll pay me to be a varsity assistant. So now I'm a head JV coach, top varsity assistant, making eighteen thousand dollars a year. And then in the middle of year three, our women's coach resigns at Christmas. Now the AD comes back to me and says, "Listen." We, we got another thing for you. Now we want you to be the head women's coach. We'll double your salary if you can do this. First, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. I want to be on the men's side. Then I talked to Jim Davis, the longtime coach at Clemson. He said, Kevin, you're 25 years old. They're offering a head job. Just take it and just see what you think. And so I took it, fell in love with coaching the women, had some success. And so then that takes me from Anderson to Lander. And, you know, we were fortunate. Both of those schools, by year three at Anderson, we won the league, taken to their first ever NCAA tournament, won their first ever NCAA tournament game. By year four, we're the number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Same thing at Lander. By year three, we win the league, go to the NCAA tournament, win their first ever NCAA tournament game. And by year four, we're also one seed at Lander. So I, I've been blessed to, to be at this is my third or fourth South Carolina school now. And, and I've been blessed to have some success at all of those schools. And, and each one has, has made me a better coach and give me different experiences. One thing that really has stood out to me just about reading about you and your, your coaching philosophy, you know, I look at the in the classroom as well. It looks like your teams have posted 3.3 GPAs or better during the last three years. How important is it to have success just not on the floor only but in the classroom as well? You know, it's funny. When I got to, to Lander, and I was, I don't know, maybe 28, 29 when I took that job, and they, they were really struggling. And I remember we came in and we – we won with Pell Grant kids because, you know, D2, you got to stretch your scholarship. So we right. said, OK, let's go get kids who because uh, Lander did is a state school didn't give a lot of academic money, whereas Anderson, the school I left, gave a ton of academic money. So we had a lot of, you know, smarter kids, good grades. And we get to Lander and it actually pays to go after kids who get more Pell Grants so or GPA drops. And through that experience, one thing I learned is, oh, my gosh, it's much easier to win when the kids are getting good grades in the classroom and you're, and you're getting those smarter kids. And so we made a really, you know, after winning at Lander, we, we got some of those players, had some success. Well, then we changed our focus and said, okay, let's go after high academic kids. And so, like, the year we go to the lead eight and final four, we got team GPAs at 3-3 three, three, and 3-4. Three, and you were just seeing that consistency. And that was kind of the eye for me. It's like, okay, 
you look at what kids are winning national championships with, and boy, what a difference it makes when you're getting those good kids who are getting good grades and making good decisions off the floor. One last thing for you, Coach, before I let you go, circling back to the newness a little bit, what's been your favorite stop so far on the road during your first year in Sunbelt? Oh, let's see. That's that's a good question. Um, you know, Louisiana probably comes to mind. That was our first road win. Uh, nice place down there. We uh, we we get in there and we, we win. We beat a really good Louisiana team on the road. And then I walk in the locker room and our players give me but first, they, they hit me with water bottles, and I made the mistake of saying, is that all you got? Well, then behind me, someone takes a 10-gallon Gatorade cooler and dumps that on me, too. Oh, no. Um, but So, Louisiana was just a great – just as far as the memory. First road win, beat a really good team. Kids really – it was coming off a tough loss to JMU where we, we thought we played way better than the score. Like, I'm talking to people like, oh, you hung with them for like two or three quarters. And I'm like, man, it was so much closer than that. Is that what you think? Because I know coaching the game, I felt like – and that's why – when we played the second time, I felt good because we felt like we did everything but make shots at their place. They they go 11 or 25 from three. So I, I would probably say Louisiana because we got we get off the JMU, get on the flight, head to Louisiana. We get there and, and just it was one of those games where you get a simple game plan and you believe in your team. We felt like we were in a good place and, and it showed with that win. So that I'd have to say so far that, that that's been my favorite style. Hey, plus the state of Louisiana has some really, really good food. So that, that doesn't oh, hurt either. They do. We were there, of course. That was our New Year's Eve game. We were stuck there New Year's Eve, so we uh, we got to try some of the food, and we're spending our New Year's Eve in the hotel. But it was uh, it was it was a special trip. Like I said, one thing I haven't said enough: like the girls we inherited here. I said we're not always as talented or as deep or as athletic as I want to be, but oh my gosh, we get great kids. Like our team is just phenomenal. We have this team. Even when you're losing, like you like your kids. They they just they're always showing up. They work hard. They buy in. We're we are really, really fortunate to have the group we have here at Coastal Carolina. Well, Coach, hey, thank you so much for your time. I know you're all super busy and getting ready to hit the road. I uh, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, thank you. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow, or I guess Thursday. Got to give a little tip of the cap to friend of the podcast, Tony Kemper, and his Marshall Thundering Herd. Five straight wins in conference play, enjoying their longest conference win streak since 2008, 2009. The Thundering Herd came back from double digits twice last week to go 2-0 and against App State and Georgia State. Ten times this year, Kemper's never-say-die team have come back to win a game. Eight times this year, they've come back from double figures. Just such an impressive, never-give-up attitude. Their mantra is together. They shout it coming out of every timeout huddle. And, man, that team plays together. They defend as good as anybody in the Sun Belt. 67th in the country in scoring defense. That's a team you really probably don't want to face when tournament time comes around in Pensacola. They turn games into rock fights. They slow it down. They can make threes. Occasionally, they'll have an explosive offensive night, but the way they just congest things, and they never give up. You, They're never out of a game despite how much they might be down by. Hey, quickly before we go, a look at the Her Hoop Stats stat of the pod. As a reminder, since 2017, Her Hoop Stats has been providing advanced analytics for the WNBA and NCAA women's basketball. They're a great tool to use. I use it as a broadcaster. They have different pricing and subscription-based options. You can look at things from an individual standpoint, a team standpoint, you name it. Go check them out, herhoopstats.com. For our Her Hoop Stats stat of the pod this week, 
It goes to Louisiana, who has the sixth best defensive foul rate of any team in the country. They foul on just 24.9%. Well, hey, that's all the time we have this week for the Under the Sun podcast. We look forward to seeing you right back around next week and have a longer episode next week. And if you still want some more Sunbelt content, remember, you can check out my weekly Sunbelt column, The Sunbelt Slant, on fansided.com. For that, you can follow me on Twitter, at JakeGriffithPXP. We'll see you next week, everyone. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Under the Sun. 